Thanks. Thanks, Londi. Morning, everybody. If we haven't had a chance to meet, you heard my name is Craig. Look forward to chatting over a cup of coffee uh, at a half time. And uh, so today is a special day. It's not on the calendar, but Pablo turns 25 today. <laughs> Happy birthday to you, hey? And uh, then uh, also just by way of, of just to keep you updated, so you know what's going on, Colette is uh, going down to KZN this coming week. Uh, there's a lead elders' wives uh, week uh, midweek together, and she's been asked to minister. So please, if you remember, uh, pray for her. And uh, it's good to know that um, that's happening, and you can keep her in your prayers. And then as you saw on the announcements, plenty going on. Uh, if you miss something, have a look on Facebook, but you can keep up to date and be part of what we are doing. Uh, Financial Peace University, we started last week. If you want to jump in, you can still jump in this week. After that, we'll leave you behind. So then you'll have to wait till another time or you'll have to come chat to us and we'll help you get hooked up another way. But you can still join in uh, this week. So last week, uh, we had Donnie and Renelle Krobler with us, remember? Spoke about God's life in community. And uh, we've got all those podcasts up on the website. I uh, really felt it was a special time of ministry. Uh, one of the things he said which caught my attention, he said... Um, the early church, remember post-Pentecost, 3,000 added just in one day, so the church would have been more than that. And what do they do? They choose seven deacons. So 12 apostles, seven deacons, and a church in excess of 3,000. And he asked us this question, how did they cope? And his answer to us was that the people of God, the entire community was doing the job. They were all serving. You heard this morning, they were producing fruit. The seed was falling on good ground. And uh, so interesting, one of the cultural shifts we've seen over the last few years, I don't know if you've uh, uh, noticed this as I, as I go through the next list, you might start to say, hey, yeah, that seems a little close to home. But there's a Man, socially, there's so many changes going on at the moment, aren't there? Um, one of the big changes has been that of the maker movement. Maker movement. Uh, Ten years ago, all the material shops were closing down. Now they're opening and going bigger because people are starting to sew again. Uh, I remember growing up, my mother used to bake bread from scratch. We actually had bread tins in our house. My mom used to make bread from scratch. Anyone remember that? Anyone? Fresh bread out the oven. And then for years, you bought bread at the shops, and then you started getting fancy bread at the shops. Now I'm talking to people that are learning how to make bread at their house. Yeah, why? Because we want to get our hands. We want to be uh, immediate with what we're doing. There's, there's a trend towards becoming makers to do things ourselves. There's a new generation of hackers, artisans, designers, artists, and entrepreneurs all who are part of a worldwide technology-enabled extension of DIY culture. Think about it this way. We no longer need a publisher to become an author like Shakespeare. We no longer need a record label to produce an album like the Beatles, if you know who either of those are. Congratulations. We no longer need a warehouse to birth a company and sell products like Macro and Game. It's called dropshipping these days. We no longer need a factory to create widgets when we can 3D print the thing at 
home. We no longer need need to be a celebrity when I can write, film, and star in my own video content and release it to the world via YouTube and social media. I don't need anyone's permission. I can do it myself. I no longer need a loan from a bank when I can be funded over and over again by Kickstarter and GoFundMe. In fact, I no, need, no longer need even to write a letter to the editor. Remember those days? Your neighbor did something wrong or you got unhappy with something going on. I'm going to put a letter in the newspaper. You don't do that anymore. What do you do? You take your phone out your pocket and you jump on Twitter and Facebook, don't you? You make your opinion felt. But what's interesting to me and what we're going to be speaking speaking on over the next couple of weeks is that often when it comes to our faith, it's far easier to be passive than active. We let someone else do it for myself than doing it myself. It's easier to be spiritually informed or entertained or even to gather for a Sunday experience than actually live out the action ourselves. You with me? easier just to let someone else watch. You know, I've been following a couple of uh, uh, YouTubers uh, over the last couple of years, and it's interesting tracking the trends. So one of the guys said uh, that um, he's making a living off of these videos, and he, he said this. He says, the nature of the videos that I make have changed. I'm getting less views on the how-to videos, so less people are watching him explain how to do his Craft, and more people are watching his videos on watching him do his craft. So I like to follow, um, I like to follow woodworkers. And so this guy was saying, instead of me giving you a tutorial on how to make the cupboard, people would rather just watch me making the cupboard. I mean, it cuts out the middleman, right? You don't have to go to the hardware store. You don't have to sweep up sawdust. Um, we've been doing a lot of that at home recently. And you can feel as though somehow you've participated in the making of a cupboard. You just never got your hands dirty. It's interesting that even as we consume media, there's been a shift from learning how to do it myself so I can make my cupboard, then just watching someone else make a cupboard and then thinking, oh, well, that was fun. Ten minutes later, my cupboard in my cupboard experience is now over. And I think as Christians, there's always been this challenge for us to be informed, for us to even, can I use the word, entertained in observing the activity of faith rather than being part of the activity of faith. We heard a couple of testimonies around those things uh, just this morning. I wonder if you've noticed in your own life that uh, we speak about the armor of God, put on the full armor of God and stand. We speak about speaking in faith. But you know, all of those things actually happen when the outcome is rather doubtful. Have you noticed that? If you need to stand in faith and speak in faith, it's because you're facing a storm. If everything's going fine, you can... It's amazing to me when the clouds are darkest, that's when you've got to believe the impossible. You've got to act on what God has said more than ever before. Never when it's easy. It's when it's most doubtful. And so it's easy to expect the paid professionals or the anointed few to do the job instead of us all rising as an army of DIY disciples and taking the gospel to the world. Now, I need to, I need to uh, just say quickly, when I say DIY, I don't mean do it alone. I mean, do it for yourself, but do it with others. It's not a lonely, independent thing, but I'm asking that we should get off our blessed assurance, I said the other week, and get 
involved. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about Jesus' call for us to be disciples, to make disciples, and to live out our faith in practical ways. So I became a Christian. I met Jesus, and I made him my Lord and Savior in September of my grade 11 year. I'd grown up in a conservative church family. We'd always gone to church. My granddad was a preacher. Uh, my mom was a good uh, uh, preacher's daughter. I grew up sleeping under the organ. Uh, for those of you that can that, that uh, ever saw these things in the olden days in some of the churches, uh, you had to pedal the organ. So it was uh, uh, definitely a DIY uh, uh, activity. You had to pedal the organ for the sound to come out. And I remember sleeping on the floor next to my mom. So I always went to church, but it was only in grade 11 that I got born again. I made some friends, and they introduced me to uh, someone else who was so excited about Jesus that, that he sat me and a couple of friends down, and uh, he found out if I had made Jesus my Lord and Savior. And it was easy to say, well, I've been in church. I feel close to God. I feel near to God, but I wasn't serving God. The amazing thing is that, that at first my parents were a little skeptical because these friends were part of a charismatic church. Now, when I was in high school, it was a very long time ago, charismatic churches that didn't have proper church buildings with a steeple were very dubious to those that grew up in the mainline churches. And so my, folk, my folks were very cautious. They checked the church out. They met the pastor. They were very dubious about what was going on in there. No organs and guitars instead. It was quite, I mean, if we're talking a few years back, uh, it was uh, quite out there. But eventually my folks trusted uh, trusted the process of God enough to let me go. And during my matric year, that became uh, my church full time. You know, the amazing thing is that from early on, I made friends with a band. So from almost immediately when I got born again, I learned that you get to church early. That's how church is. I learned that you'd probably carry stuff and you move stuff and you sit and you wait for everyone else to arrive. It was great fun to be part of the inside. I made some friends in this church and people began to walk with me and to help me grow. Um, one, of the, one of the men that had the greatest impact on my life was twenty, at least 20 years older. I was a teenager. He was in his 40s. When you're a teenager, someone in his 40s is ancient. This man made me his friend. He was a drummer and he led the band from the drums. And I walked in, I thought, what on earth? And this guy, more than double my age, made me his friend. One of the other elders in the church entrusted me with running his business when he went on holiday. My goodness, there's a stretch. And uh, then there was this man, Lindsay, who was the pastor of the church. We had nothing in common whatsoever. He was very colonial. He liked long words and drinking tea. He was the typical pastor. He, uh, he, he, his one sort of uh, di- diversion was watching soccer on TV. And to this day, I still haven't learned to watch soccer uh, at all. But somehow, this man, the only thing we had in common was Jesus. And somehow, we would meet regularly. And I want to say this morning that I'm convinced that these mentors that discipled me accelerated my relationship with Jesus and pointed me towards the call of God on my life. It's easy to read the Bible as history, as events that happened long ago, and we can just glean some principles to live a 
happy life. Rather, we should see them as examples of how we are to live our lives today to maximum effort. I'm talking this morning about DIY disciples. And the question that I'm asking is, do you have someone who you will allow to walk with you, to disciple you, to point you towards the future that God has prepared for you? Question number one. Question, my goodness, it got quiet in here all of a sudden. Yo. You know how, it's a different era than when I got saved. I'm I'm happy to, to admit that. It's a little while ago. Not that long ago. It's a little while ago. We live in a different world. We are far more, isolated now than when I got, I, I grew up on the south coast. Uh, there was no such thing as a security estate. And now the houses had fences around them. You didn't have more, you know, you didn't have a, a complex. People knew each other. Nowadays we live very sheltered lives. Even in our Christianity, so tempting. Just me and my Bible is fine and you don't know whether I've read it or not. Don't know if I'm growing or not. Question number one, do you have someone, some trusted godly friend that will walk with you and sow seed into your life, point you towards the future that God has for you. Question number two, are you doing that for someone else? (laughs) Wow, you guys have got so serious. I promise I'm not setting you up. We've taken the offering already, don't worry. (laughs) <laughs> everyone's got so serious but I'm asking this question I'm convinced I'm convinced there was once a prophecy what has taken seven years will take one year what has taken seven months will take one month I'm convinced I would still be wandering around the desert just like those Israelites 40 years in the desert instead of 11, 11 day journey to get to the promised land I'm convinced I would have taken the 40 year route not the 11 day route if it wasn't for these men and women who poured themselves into my life and pointed me to Jesus, discipled me in the things of God. For me, that was normal life. I said, I I got born again. I made friends with people that came early and left late, that fixed stuff, that made church meetings happen, that were involved, who knew things and were part of the process. That was just normal life for me because of the people that I associated with when I got born again. Often, church becomes a spectator sport which actually can be quite boring when I'm just reading the newspaper. It's quite boring. Living the events. If you hit, if you are on the front page of the record, it's a whole different story, right? Yeah? DIY disciples. Man, wouldn't it be cool if you actually I came to your house and you showed me, man, I actually made this loaf of bread. <laughs> yeah? Compared to just watching, looking at a picture about some bread. How about Greek means learner, especially by use or practice. My uh, PowerPoint didn't work this morning. I don't know, something, there was a glitch. So I've got two slides to show you. This is the second one. So please be impressed. The word disciple in the original Greek translates as learner, especially by use and practice. The disciple's end goal was to become like his rabbi in all respects of his life. You may remember we did a series last year, 12 Men Who Changed the World. You can have a look on on, uh, gracecove.coza. But uh, it was a cultural experience. You had rabbis, uh, 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 Jewish teachers that would find some young men, and these young men would apply to be trained by these teachers. 
And if they were selected, then they would spend every day together with no set curriculum. They just did life together. And as things happen, questions would come and answers would happen. And you would be trained to live and become just like your one that was discipled, discipling you. Jesus' invitation to follow him is an invitation to become his disciple, just like the rabbis and the cultural experience. And I'm asking you this morning, if you're born again today, that's wonderful. But how are you going in your discipleship process of becoming more like Jesus? So I'd like you to open your Bible, if you would, with me to Matthew chapter 4. I've got two main questions that I'm going to attempt to answer this morning. And the first is, what makes a disciple? What makes a disciple? Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. No wonder I can't find Matthew after Luke and chapter 4 after chapter 6. Let me get my brain into gear this morning. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. There we go. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Verse 19 says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed Jesus. What makes people a disciple, number one, they follow Jesus. What makes a disciple, number one, they follow Jesus. Isn't this so simple? You think, Craig, that sounds like Sunday school. <laughs> but I'm asking, I'm contending that we become DIY disciples, those that actually get involved in the process, not just the watchers of someone else doing the job, but those that do the job ourselves. Uh, what makes a disciple? Well, a disciple follows Jesus. Do you know in the, in the New Testament, the words, follow me, spoken by Jesus, are, are, are recorded 20 times. Follow me, follow me, follow me. Disciples, follow Jesus. The goal of the disciple was to imitate Christ, to become one like. In the Jewish culture, you would be able to look at a young boy, and after a few years, by the, his actions and the way he spoke, you would know which rabbi he was following. He left a mark on you. Sometimes people say, oh, you've got a strange accent. Do you come from this place? Say, oh, no, I actually come from somewhere else. And people would start to pick up, oh, you sound like so-and-so. Are you his disciple? The, the question is, do we sound like the one that we follow? The goal of the disciple is to imitate Christ, to completely submit to his authority and truth in all areas of your life. That means no longer calling the shots. If Jesus says, follow me, then I've got to, Go after him, right? When Jesus says to me, follow me, it doesn't mean I can wander wherever I want. It means I keep in step with Jesus. Disciples submit their will in obedience to Christ every day. The good news, because submit is a dangerous word these, these days, the good news is that God puts inside of us a delight to do his will. So as I talk about DIY disciples, you might feel a little uncomfortable because these are quite old-fashioned values. The fact that I should give up 
my own choices and have to ask God what I want to do. Heard a great example about Chris and Rihanna having to go through that process. It can make us uncomfortable because they think, hey, I want to be free. Well, freedom comes from Jesus, right? And so what makes a disciple? Number one, disciples follow Jesus. It makes so much sense. In fact, you could say if you're not following Jesus, you can't be a disciple because disciples follow their teacher. Scott McKnight says this. He says, those that aren't following Jesus aren't his followers. It's that simple. Really is that simple. (laughs) To follow Jesus... Our followers follow, and those who don't follow aren't followers. To follow Jesus means to follow Jesus into a society where justice rules, where love shapes everything. To follow Jesus means to make up his, to take up his dream and to work for it. Matthew chapter 16 verse 13, you may remember this passage. Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. If I put it into into today's vernacular, you could say, well, who are people observing Jesus to be? What DIY YouTube videos are you watching versus are you doing? And then Jesus said, but what about you? Who do you say I am? He's not just asking what you've observed. He's saying, where are you involved? What has stirred your own heart? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I want to stir us this morning that we go from religious observation or philosophical discussion. We talk about morality. We talk about the way we live our lives. So easy to talk about Jesus kind of in the third hand. Rather, we should be those that are engaging with Jesus, that follow Jesus himself. A disciple learns to live in his presence. Remember when when uh, uh, Jesus was arrested and Peter was standing in, in the courtyard warming his hands. Some servant girl comes up to him and says, hold on, I recognize you. Weren't you with that man? Then he goes on to say a few things to try and get off the hook. She says, no, 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 I recognize your accent. Wouldn't it be cool if the people around you and me spotted us and said, hold on. Weren't you associated? Weren't you one of those Christians, those people that love Jesus and follow him? I can hear in your accent. You don't talk like the rest of us. Not because we're speaking in King James language or because we're holier than thou. But there's a tone in our voice that is loving and caring and concerned. You don't talk like other people. Disciples learn to live in his presence. They are guilty by association. Carl Alderman said, following Jesus isn't something you can do at night when no one notices. It's a 24-hour-a-day commitment that will interfere with your life. That's not the small print. That's the guarantee. So number one, disciples follow Jesus. Number two, disciples listen to Jesus. Now this is so practical, so down to earth, it's so simple, but these are incredibly profound and it's the outworking that exercises us spiritually. Disciples, listen to Jesus. You can turn to John chapter 6, verse 66. John chapter 6, verse 66. John chapter 6, verse 66. You there? All right. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. 
Verse 67, do you want to leave me too? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else can we get life from? This man says that the words of life are come, come from Jesus. Where else should we go? So the first one is disciples follow Jesus. The second one is disciples listen to Jesus. You have the words of life. Words aren't written, these words weren't written down. They were spoken. I'm listening to Jesus. Luke chapter 5 verse 5. Again, it's a com- it, 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 out of the Gospels. Remember they were fishing. The Bible tells us they fished the whole night. Have you had someone t- tell you how to do your job recently? It seems every time those people call me from those call centers, I want to tell them how to do their job. Yeah, have you told? Have anyone told you how you should do your job recently, and does, how you should do it, and what should be expected of you? Well, Jesus turns up on the seashore and he shouts out to these fishermen in the boat. He says, "Have you caught anything?" And they say, "We've been kept. We've been fishing the whole night. We caught nothing." And Jesus, the carpenter, shouts out to the fishermen and he says, "Throw your nets on the other side." <laughs> yes. Like if I come into your, walk, your workplace and I say, you're doing it all wrong. Instead of doing it this way, you should do it that way. How would that go down in your workspace? Yeah. No, 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 wait. I don't know anything about what you're doing, but it's clear that you're doing it wrong and I know better. Would that go down well? But you see, number one, disciples follow Jesus. Number two, disciples listen to Jesus. So the carpenter says to the, to the disciples, throw your nets on the other side. And they say, we've been, we've been doing this a lot. But because you say so, we'll do it. Remember the miraculous catch of fish that happens. The nets are so full, they struggled to pull them in. I want to ask this morning, are you following hard after Jesus? Not just theoretically, but are you following hard after Jesus? Which means, are you walking with him? Are you in step with him? The second thing is, are you listening to him? And the way we can check that out is by asking us, so when was the last time Jesus told me something that didn't quite suit me? And yet I chose to go with him. With disciples, listen to Jesus. Because you say. You see, sometimes we just push Jesus aside to matters about church. So when I read my Bible, then Jesus can can lead me. When I pray, then Jesus is involved. But when I'm at work, well, that's not really a spiritual engagement. So I don't need Jesus to lead me at work or in my family or in my exercise or in my social circles. I think we need Jesus more there than anywhere else. And so Jesus isn't just a churchy concept, but, it's, but he is a life concept. Ask yourself this. Did I wait on Jesus for the last decision I made? You love it when a wife says how Wise the husband was. Well done, Rihanna. Good job. Hey? You can see how clever Chris is. I don't know what to do. Well, have you prayed? It's brilliant. JP's comment this morning is that often our defaults are the wrong ones. We default in the wrong direction. Yeah? I'm just I'm throwing some homework out to you this morning. Think this through. When last? Did, when on, on the last decision I made, did I wait on Jesus? before I made that call. Disciples follow Jesus, they listen to Jesus. Did I pray it through? Did I ask God to confirm it? Did I reference a trusted godly friend? Number three, disciples do what Jesus says. You understand the process? Disciples follow Jesus, they listen to Jesus, they do 
what he said. We've spoken, we've already read the passage, because you say so, we'll throw it on the other side. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Jesus went from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. They follow Jesus, they listen to Jesus, and they do what he said. You know how many Christians spend hours and hours, there's so many books about how to hear God? Wouldn't it be nice if we maybe, or maybe it, 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 there's no point, but I think we should have more books about how to do what you heard God say. We spend ourselves. The Bible says in the last days you'll have many people gathering, many teachers around them to say what their itching ears want to hear. And so there's a whole lot of teaching around how we hear God, but I'm not sure I'm seeing as much doing what we hear. Disciples follow Jesus. They listen to Jesus. They do what he says. David Platt said this. He said, radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It's not comfort, it's not health, it's not wealth, not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all of these things. But in the end, such risks find its rewards in Christ. And He is more than enough for us. If you're with me, I'm, I'm really taking us back to grassroots. Follow Jesus, listen to Jesus, do what He says. The fourth one, talking about what makes a disciple, the fourth one is simply this. Disciples reproduce disciples. How do you know if you've got a good cow? My friend Londi has some stock. How do you know if you have a good cow, Londi? What makes a good cow? The breed. But what's the evidence of the good cow? That it gets fat? Reproduces. Milk or beef, depending on the cow, right? Yeah? We're not into these, um, these show breeds, right? We just get cows to look at. A good cow is one that has more calves, produces more milk. Am I right? You know how often we get caught up with in our Christianity? Oh, if I want to be a good Christian, I need to learn more. If I be a good Christian, I must understand more. must have more conversations. Fruit of a Christian is other Christians. Like the fruit of an apple tree is not apples, apple trees. Now I've really made you nervous because now you're thinking, well, which disciples did I make? It's quite simple. Disciples follow Jesus, they listen to Jesus, they do what he said. And then the, ne- the, re- the next one comes naturally. They produce disciples. What makes a disciple? Just those three things. Chuck Sundle said, Fortunately, God made all varieties of people with a vi- wide variety of interests and abilities. He has called people of every race and color who have been hurt in life in every manner imaginable. Even the scars of the past, abuse and injury can be the means of bringing healing to another. What wonderful opportunities. To make disciples. My second point this morning is how do disciples grow? How do disciples grow? Four things and we'll be done. Disciples grow, number one, in the knowledge of God. So have a look with me in Acts chapter 2. We're talking about uh, 
Donnie chatting about God's life in community. We've been speaking much about community here at Grace Cove. And this is one of those beautiful experiences of the, the body of Christ and the scriptures living in community. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So how do believers, how do disciples grow? First of all, they grow in the knowledge of God. We can grow in the knowledge of so many things, but the key is to grow in the knowledge of God. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is what has become much of our early New Testament. Disciples need to know God more and better. They need to grow in God's character. I'm so grateful for the people that took time to tell me, Craig, this is the God that you now serve when I got born again. This is who you can expect Him to be. We grow in the knowledge and the understanding of God's character. We know who we can expect Him to be. Disciples grow in the knowledge of God. We grow in understanding our salvation and forgiveness and working out of our brotherly love and, and getting on with each other. They need an understanding of the gospel. They need to know what it means to become like Jesus. They grow in their knowledge of God and His way. So I'm hoping as I go through these, you're thinking, how am I doing? Am I DIYing or am I watching <laughs> DIY? Am I just watching for entertainment's sake? The second thing is, so first, first of all, Christians, disciples grow in their knowledge of God. The second is, they grow in their participation in church community. Sometimes people have been a born again for a long time. You say, well, I've been born again for 30 years. Now, the question is, do you have 30 years of experience of walking with Jesus? Or do you have one year of experience walking with Jesus 30 times? Have we actually grown in participation in church community? You see, because it's in church community that we learn church culture and church practice. We understand what does a Christian look like? What are the defaults JP spoke about as a Christian? What are the things that I think about? How are the ways I order my life? Church community is one of the great blessings that God gives us when we born again. We've just read these verses. It says, they devoted themselves to fellowship, teaching, prayer, breaking of bread. It says, all the believers were together. Every day they continued to meet together. Charles Duhigg said this. He says, when people join groups where change seems possible, the potential for that change to occur becomes real. When you associate your yourself with people that are moving on in God, it becomes so much easier for you to move on in God. We've made a big fuss about Financial Peace University. We have. You're probably thinking, man, when are we going to have these videos, these, these, these adverts come to an end? Well, the good news is, uh, just this week, two ladies have told me, the one lady told me this morning, Craig, after Financial Peace, this month I've paid off my credit cards. Another lady told me during this week, after years and years of years of running out of finishing my salary before the month finished and having to borrow and make, for the first time we can say, we're done. When all of a sudden, money matters become so easy because you are encouraged by their stories. That's why we've made sure we're hearing a lot of them. Money is just an example we could, we could use 
anything. When we're with a community that is changing, it's easier to follow Jesus and change ourselves. Change seems possible. This new life of devotion seems doable. It's in, in essence, the group teaches the new believer how to live what they have come to believe. So number one, we grow in the knowledge of God. Number two, we grow in a participation in church community. So this week, we don't have life groups. Life groups are so key to um, participating in community. But this week, we put the life groups aside so we can gather together to pray. We call it Grace United. So tempting for this week to be a good excuse just to take the week off. Yes? <laughs> see you at life groups. See you at Grace United. Well, I'm not so sure. You see, because it's no longer the same format. But how much more important for you and I to choose to participate in a spiritual exercise, which like Donnie says, Bible, he quoted the scripture, one puts a thousand to flight, two ten thousand. When we pray together, more happens than when we pray by ourselves. Christians grow in the knowledge of God. They grow in the participation of community. Third one, they grow in the spiritual disciplines. Now, this is definitely an unpopular topic. We don't like to speak about discipline, right? No one likes to speak about discipline. What are the spiritual disciplines? Prayer, reading the Bible, possibly fasting, choosing to live our lives a certain way. When we gather together, Christians grow in these things. These are pathways which, which, with which we engage God. These must be taught and modeled to new believers, but also entrenched and exercised in those of us that have known Jesus for a while. These habits will form their faith for a lifetime. <laughs> I don't know about you, but it's like certain seasons are so much easier than others. I don't know, maybe you've been working harder than normal. You've been going to sleep later than normal. Man, praying in the morning becomes more difficult than normal. All of a sudden, reading your Bible, this isn't as interesting as it sometimes is. That's when the spiritual disciplines have to kick in. The fourth one and the last one, Christians grow in developmental relationships. Disciples have those around them that can develop them. They have relationships that can cause them to grow. Acts chapter 2 verse 46, we've read it together. It says, they met together in the temple courts and broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Beyond the Sunday meeting, it seems as though scripturally there are other meetings where we engage on a deeper level. Life groups are important. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're not part of a life group, find one group of people to do life together where you allow people to come into your life and help you grow. The cool thing is that in those kinds of groups, you find people that you click with, where true friendships are born, real friendships centered around Jesus Christ, which help you grow. Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. I want to ask you this morning, if people look at you, if they look at me, they definitely realize unschooled, very ordinary. And that's fine. The question is, do people realize that I've been with Jesus? <laughs> you get a great opportunity in the workplace. You get a great opportunity in the home. You get a great opportunity in social circles for people to look at you and go, ha, these people, something different here. They've been with Jesus 
from being a believer to being a disciple. A disciple is one that becomes like their teacher. Teacher, I'm not meaning the human being that's teaching. I'm meaning Jesus Christ, the one who's called us to follow him. That we can grow in our knowledge of God. We can grow in our participation in community. We can grow in those helpful spiritual disciplines. We can grow in godly relationships that will help us. So will you become a DIY disciple this morning? And as over the next couple of weeks, we help you understand and get to grips with it a little bit better. But will you become one that DIYs and not just watches someone else DIY? Will you maybe for the first time say, Lord, I I have believed in you, but now I want to follow you. Maybe it's time to come back again. We go from beyond a believer to a disciple. (laughs) Will you leave everything? Will you follow Jesus? Will you be sent by Jesus? Perhaps you don't know Jesus today. and All this is pretty academic. Well, today's your opportunity to become a DIY disciple, to follow Jesus and let him give you a new future. Lord God, I pray this morning that you would help the words that you speak find good soil in our hearts, in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you'd help us to engage in our faith, to be active in following you. I'm pretty sure, Lord, that this week will hold many decisions for many of us. It's just how normal life is. I pray you'd help us, Lord, to go back to you and say, Jesus, which one? Which choice do I make? Which action do I take? Lord, that they would know that we are disciples because we follow you, we listen to you, and then we do what you say in Jesus' name. Father, the joy of following Jesus means that we have a lively faith, not just a spectator faith. I pray that for each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen.